Great. Well, I'm so pleased to be here today. Um, I want you to imagine, uh, just for a moment, what your life would be like if you were free from the grip of fear. So just to imagine sort of what normal everyday life would be like if you didn't worry about stuff, if you didn't have that sort of mild level of anxiety that many of us live with, if you didn't worry about peer pressure or what anyone thought of you. I just wonder what your life would be like. For me, when I imagine it, I, there's a feeling that almost comes with that. It's sort of a feeling of, I don't know, I just I feel my sort of chest pouting out a little bit and I feel like, come on then, I'm ready for life. And, um, and then I think about what would it look like to be free from fear in the area of evangelism? So talking to people about Jesus, if you're a Christian in the room, I wonder what it'd be like if we as a church family just were able to push through the fear that we felt and really were on the front foot in evangelism. My feeling is, as I look out, the church would actually look and feel quite different. I think there would be people here that you guys invited that have become Christians or whose lives are sort of in a process of being transformed. My guess is just generally we would have a bit of a different culture where we would celebrate it when everyone sort of was stepping out courageously. We wouldn't worry too much about the results, but we would just celebrate every time someone did something that was bold and courageous and without fear or stepping through the fear. And I guess that is what we are picturing when we are thinking about what sort of stuff we want to focus on in 2019. Um, the hope is that we would be a church this year that breaks through the fear of evangelism and is full of boldness and courage. Uh, one of my heroes in this area is the vicar of Baghdad. You might know this guy. He's called uh, Canon Andrew White. Uh, he is living as an Anglican minister in the post uh, Saddam Hussein, Iraq. Uh, he leads a church and you listen to his story and he will tell of being kidnapped many times, of being hijacked. He's been brought into rooms uh, where there's instruments of torture dotted around the room. He has a large full-time full team protecting him because uh, so many people have made uh, death threats. And uh, in the middle of all of that, he is still doing what God's called him to do and seeing some incredible miracles. And this is what he says. He says, when the worst they can do to you is kill you and you're not afraid of that, you become a very dangerous man. I love that attitude. It's not where I'm at at all. Um, I love that attitude. It's aspirational, isn't it? And I think that's why the early church, when they were facing persecution and hatred and real difficulty to stand up for their faith, what they prayed about was boldness. They prayed as a family uh, together. They said, God, would you fill us with courage because we are scared. And that is our prayer for 2019. After a year in 2018, a year of prayer, uh, we're sort of feeling God wants 2019 to be a year of courage. And we'll celebrate all sorts of courage, but particularly it's courage in evangelism. Um, I've got here uh, for you, um, if you don't know what this is, it's meant to be like a football stadium. And um, this stadium represents where we're all at it, with regard to sharing our faith. And for some of us, uh, uh, well, the idea is that all of us are on the pitch playing, like 
But the reality in the room is some of us are actually in the car park right now when it comes to uh, witnessing and being bold about our faith. We probably don't have any non-Christian friends, people to actually share with. Perhaps you, you work in a Christian charity or something like that. You spend no time outside the Christian ghetto. And so the reality for you, talk about fear of evangelism, you're like, I don't even have anyone to speak to anyway. Some of you are probably more sort of at the turnstiles. And so you do have people that aren't Christians around you that know you fairly well, but you never have spiritual conversations. So you might have accidentally let slip that you're a Christian or go to church, but that is it. Like you just don't talk about faith, spiritual matters. Some of you are more in the stands and you do have sort of Christian friends and you have the odd spiritual conversation. You know, if someone... I don't know, once a year, like you might, someone might say, why are you a Christian or what? And you sort of take that moment, you do a great job, but it's just not a regular pattern. And then others of you are actually on the pitch playing. And for you, you have regular spiritual conversations. You regularly sort of pray for people. You find yourself getting to share about your faith in Jesus pretty often. It almost comes a little bit naturally to you. And the question, I guess, is where are you right now with regards to your evangelism in the car park at the turnstiles you're in the stands or are you on the pitch some of you've been on the pitch so long that it's time for you to actually get in the dugout and train everyone else on how to do what you do so well but for the most part we're here this year of courage is all about moving us our whole church towards the pitch from car park to turnstile turnstile to stand stands to pitch this year of courage is about helping all of us move forward together. How on earth is that going to happen? Well, obviously, we need God in a dramatic way. But over these next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this whole topic together. And we're going to encourage you. We're going to do what we can to sort of say together, we all realize that this is an issue. But if God's calling to the, us into playing on the pitch then let's do it together. We're going to start a blog tomorrow. You're going to have Monday motivation every other week where we're going to sort of give you a little personal devotion just to help sort of stir your faith at the start of the week. We're going to use some of our Sundays to do some training so it'll be sort of a very different service from normal. Uh, we are going to have some activations, some things that we do all together. We're going to have a month of something where we're all going to aim uh, to step out courageously and celebrate everyone as they do that. And um, uh, that first one begins at the end of February. But right now, um, what we wanted to do as we launch this year of courage is to actually look at a passage in the Bible, which is one of my favorite places where you get to see someone's fear of doing, uh, of doing what God had called them to do most clearly and God's response to them. And so it's found in Exodus 3. So if you do have a Bible, uh, I'd really appreciate if you could just turn to Exodus 3 in the Old Testament. It's going to be on the screen. And the, the setting for this story is that it's, it's a long time ago, 2,000 or so years ago. And um, sorry, 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus, long, long way back. And God's people the nation of Israel, they find themselves as slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt and they call out to God and they say, God, would you set us free? 
And so God raises up a leader, a guy called Moses, who he's sort of God's chosen instrument to lead the people in a mass exodus out of Egypt into the promised land. And at this point, uh, Moses had actually, he'd grown up in Egypt, he'd killed a man, had fleed, and had spent 40 years in the desert. And now God is calling him to lead. And I want you to notice, this is a long reading. I just want to get the full narrative. I want you to give you the full picture. So stick with it. But I want you to be thinking, where does he question God? Like, where do you see the fear most clearly? So Exodus 3, verse 1 says this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them out of that and into a good and spacious land, a land flown with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites have reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I'll be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said, what's that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out, took hold of the snake and it turned back into the staff in his hand. This said the Lord, is so that they may believe in the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. And so Moses put his hand inside his cloak and then he took it out and the skin was leprous. It become as white as snow. Now put it back in your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back in his cloak and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if, you do not be- if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe those two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile 
and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. And the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and he'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. And I will help both of you to speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you. And it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. It's amazing, amazing account. I mean, to write so honestly about all his failings. And um, I read this and I just think, oh man, I would be so different if that was me. And then I think, no, I wouldn't, Hatch. Come on, get, you know, be honest. The reality is most of us in this room would respond just like Moses. Someone said that fear in our lives is like sand in the machinery of life. And all of us know that when fear attacks us, it just stops us from functioning properly. Fear of me, me being misunderstood, fear of embarrassment, fear of poverty, fear of getting it wrong, fear of illness, whatever it is. All of us feel fear. I know for me, um, my biggest fear is rejection. It's something that I've lived with all my life. Uh, as I tell my story, I can see sort of the most important figures in my life have all rejected me at some point. In fact, just this week, someone was asking me uh, about birthday parties when I was young. And I remembered at eight years old, having a birthday party, I invited about 10 of my friends over. And uh, after about half an hour or so, one of the boys just sort of declared to the others, I'm really bored. This is rubbish. Let's all go to the park. And all my friends just left my party. And just sort of left me there, sort of crying with my mum. And I remember from that point on, I, I'd never had a big party again. I was just, just so crushed by, you know, the rejection I got from my friends. And many of you have got stories and incidents like that. You just know that has produced in you. Well, for me, it just made me sort of really harden my heart and sort of isolate myself and not want to be hurt by people. It meant that I got really good at faking it and pretending with others in order to make them like me. And sometimes I still find that sort of self-preservation at work in me when I fear being rejected. I have noticed, and I'm really sorry if I've done this with you, but if I've been on a long journey or arrived somewhere or come back from somewhere, for some random reason, people want to ask me which road I drove on. And I know nothing about directions and where I am in Leeds, let alone in the country and all that sort of thing. And a conversation will often go like this. I presume you got off the A43 at Junction 20, just past the Dog and Duck pub, and then you got onto the A43 and then the A3. Or did you, well, actually, that's a better way than going the B284, cutting through the A39. And that's the way I always come. And I'm like, yeah, it really is the quickest way, isn't it? And I totally fake it. I have no idea what words they're saying. They mean nothing to me, but I will tell a little lie because I want them just to, well, I just, 
I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to look an imbecile. We all have fear in our lives. And it all leaks out all over the place. And in this area of sharing our faith, man, we feel it. I've actually got a list here of the fear that we often feel when we're thinking about perhaps inviting someone to church or telling them about our faith. I got these from a guy who actually spends his life going around the world talking about this fear. And he says that this list... Um, changes slightly, but is more or less the same in every culture that he goes to. Uh, people say, I simply don't talk about Jesus much in relationships. I've got no non-Christian friends. I fear some sort of loss. I lack confidence in the gospel, in the message. I'm embarrassed to invite someone to our church. I'm fearful of offending people. I don't know what to say or something closely related. Just have a look at that list. And I'd love for you just to think about your life. And perhaps own one of them. You might actually have a, a number that you feel. And if you're not a Christian yet in the room, just imagine for a moment you became a Christian. Like imagine having to tell people about what's just happened. What's the fear you would feel? Why don't you just turn to the person next to you? I'm going for a little bit of vulnerability here. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you? Why don't you tell your top one or two? If you're happy to. You don't have to, but... Well done. It's good for us, you know, just speaking it out. I guess the question is, like, why, why is this so common in the church? Like, what, what's going on here? Like, why is this the biggest sort of blockage or hindrance that we feel? Well, I want to suggest to you that every time we feel fear... God is showing you an area of your life that he wants to transform. In our reading, God appears to Moses at the burning bush, revealing himself and his plans for Moses. And Moses simply doesn't want to comply. He, he's called, but he just feels so overwhelmed at his weakness. But what he doesn't realize is this is actually God's kindness to him. This is God showing him where he lacks faith and how much he wants to change him as he starts to obey. God is using the feeling of fear in the church to transform us into the people he's calling us to be. In other words, let me make it more personal. I've got this on the screen. The reason why people don't want to go is the reason God is asking you to go. So the reason we don't want to go, the reason we don't want to share, is actually the reason why God is asking you. The fear you feel is a nudge from God that he wants to transform your life. He's showing you where your faith really lies. So listen, it's really important as a church family, we don't believe or we don't let the fear of evangelism excuse us. God loves to use our weakness to make sure we know it's from him. It's him that's doing the heavy lifting. It's him that is at work in the world and he loves us far too much to let us stay the same and so my guess is that if we embrace this year of courage it's going to be a very transformative year for us what is fear well fear is simply placing our faith in our a wrong reality fear is trust that has been misplaced 
And I want to show you from the passage how it works. Because every time Moses asks a question, he's exposing the reality that he's believing. And it gives God a chance to show his reality. So just follow along with me. Moses says, verse 11, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? In other words, Moses is saying, I'm weak. I'm a nobody. I'm just an 80-year-old in a desert. um, And I've got nothing to offer you. Whereas verse 12, God says, I'll be with you. And this will be the sign to you that is I who sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You'll worship God on this mountain. God's reality is that he will go with Moses. His presence will give Moses confidence that the people will be set free because he just needs Moses to be in the right place at the right time and step back and watch God work. God didn't say Moses would set them free. He's going to set them free. And then Moses says, verse 13, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And then they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? In other words, Moses is saying, I'm scared. I don't know what I meant to say. I don't have all the answers. I don't want to look a fool in front of people because I don't know how to answer their questions. And God says in verse 14, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. The I am has sent me to you. Why is that answer so powerful? It doesn't quite translate to us. But those words, I am who I am, are the very characters in Hebrew that spell out the name Yahweh. The word Yahweh is the most intimate term for the living God in the Hebrew dictionary. God is saying that the only self-existent infinite being in all the universe, the God who knows you, the God who loves you, has sent you, Moses. You represent me. I am, I am, has sent you. You tell them that. Verse four of chapter, uh, verse one of chapter four, Moses answers, well, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? And this moment is where you, the, the fear of rejection, I think, is most clearly exposed. He fears looking a fool. He fears out of control. He feels very uncomfortable, very vulnerable, which I know many of us feel when, if, if we'd like to step out in evangelism. Verse 2, then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And God turns his staff into a snake and then back again and then his hand leprous and back again and then promises to turn water into blood. In other words, God says, yeah, you may feel all of that, but you will have my power. You just say your bit and then you stand back and watch my power at work. Verse 10, Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in my past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Living Bible translates those verses, Lord, I've never been a good speaker and I have a speech impediment. So he's worried about not finding the right words at the right time. Verse 11, the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. God God says, look, trust me, Moses. In the moment, I will do some divine speech therapy. Something will happen which will enable you to talk. I will give you the right words. Trust me. And then finally, after all of that, 
which is where Moses is so like us. He says, pardon your servant, please, just send someone else. Anyone but me. He just discounted himself. He looked at himself. He reckoned on his weakness as, as somehow discounting him. He says, God, there must be someone else. And actually, his faith was in his brother being able to do a better job than him. And God recognizes that and says in verse 15, you shall speak to him, speak to your brother and put words in his mouth. Then I will help both of you to speak and will teach you what to do. And I love that because God recognizes that Moses needs a friend. He needs a courage buddy. He needs someone to hold his hand a little bit and help him through. So I've just on the screen, I've got Moses' reality. Next slide. And I've got God's reality. So Moses' reality is, I'm weak. You've got the wrong guy. God's reality, I'm with you. Moses' reality, I don't know enough. God's reality, I am, is sending you. Moses' reality, what if they don't believe me? God's reality, I'm giving you power. Moses' reality, I'm not good at speaking. God's reality, I will teach you and give you words to say. Moses' reality, can you send someone else? God's reality, you don't have to go alone. Faith is choosing the correct correct reality. Faith is shifting from a very me-centered view of the world to a very God-centered view of the world. And God loves to speak to every single one of our excuses and our fears and our concerns and says to you, I can overcome your fear because I am with you. I am the one that is sending you. I will give you power. I will give you the words to say. I will give you a community to help you learn together. Be strong and courageous. You know, I never grew up in the church, but I did, when I became a Christian, help out the kids' work. And all this week, I've had this song going round in my brain. Be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. I am not afraid. No, no, no. I'm not dismayed. Not me. Because I'm walking in faith and victory. You know, we all get fearful. This year of courage is saying God is more important. His reality counts more than ours. Serving God, trusting his presence, his person, his power, his promise, his provision is what we're going to start doing as a church family this year. And it's so important because if we decide... To just stay the same. If you're even sat here today, this morning, you're thinking, there's too much going on in my own life, or that my fears are too big, or I'm just, you know, I'm in the car park and I'm very happy in the car park. I guess I want to say to you that you, I don't know, you, your world will only shrink if you maintain that viewpoint. Let me just show you what I mean. If this box, represents a world of possibilities, the whole reality that we could be enjoying. And this smaller box inside represents us and what our world currently looks like. What we're doing in this year of courage is we're asking you to consider to break out of your current experience, your current willingness to step out for God and experience the fullness of what God is calling you into. And man, I am totally aware that 
we do not know what that means. For you to step somewhat into the unknown means letting go of all that's safe and secure and comfortable here. But what we feel God's speaking to us about as, as a church is together to step beyond what we're currently experiencing and to step into this area here, which God says, I will provide for you every step of the way. I will be with you. I will tell you what to say. It's all uh, in, in my resources in heaven. In fact, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And the deal is this. If you choose not to, and you decide to stay here, my experience with fear and dealing with this in my own life is that everything starts to sort of come back in on itself. And in fact, as you get, I guess, comfortable and secure in your own little world, you actually build for yourself very secure defences and excuses and things that mean that it's very easy to say no. You reason it away. You sort of make these decisions which sort of make sense to you in the moment. But actually, they're just a way of saying, I'm fine where I am. And I'm going to build the walls around me even stronger. The question to all of us this year is, are we going to stay in the box? Or are we going to move into our potential? Are we going to be courageous? Are we going to have that spiritual conversation? Are we going to pray for that friend? Are we going to invite someone? Are we going to look at the Bible? Are we going to be honest about our faith? Or are we going to shrink back and retreat? God wants us to offer our lives afresh to him. Romans 14 verse 8, very sobering verse. The Apostle Paul says, if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die... We die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. If you're a Christian in the room and you believe that, this is all God's and this is all God's. And whether we live or whether we die, it all belongs to him. So how do we, how do we step into the freedom that we all long for? How do we grow in courage? How do we move forwards? Well, we're going to look at a number of things in the coming weeks, but I just want to leave you with one as I finish. Like Moses, I believe every single one of us in the room needs a fresh revelation of God and his love for us. Every fear, every excuse, every question, every doubt, God steps up to us and says, I have got this. When I called you on mission... I just need you to be in the right place at the right time and then step back and watch me move. You can't save people. You can't get them to say yes. You can't get them to move towards Jesus, but he can. And we're to trust him. And, you know, this whole concept of just a bigger picture of God, bigger picture of his love for us may not sound very radical or new or insightful, but I know for Every single one of us, it is the main way God moves us from fear to faith. Seeing the great I am makes us change the reality that we're trusting in. So when you next fear, uh, feel fear rising up in you, it's an invitation to know God. 
When the Apostle Paul writes about the love of God, he says it's a work of the Holy Spirit. So every time you get a chance to feel fear rising up, on you, in, you, up in you, then it's a moment for God to be at work. The Apostle Paul writes about this love that I'm talking about. And he says that, um, that it's a work of the Holy Spirit. He says, I pray that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge. Ephesians 3 verse 18, uh, sorry, 19. Paul says to this church, I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That word know is, is, is a very special word because we're asking for the God of love to reveal his love to us that surpasses knowledge. So that's an impossible thing to happen. So it's only the Holy Spirit that can make it happen. So when Paul says, I want you to know this love, when that was originally written, it was originally written in Greek. And that word know is the word gnosis, which means to know by first-hand intimate experience. Paul wants them to know by first-hand intimate experience the love of God. It's the same Greek word that's used by Mary. When an angel comes to her and tells her that she's going to bear a son, a son Jesus, even though she's a virgin, and she asks, how will that be? Because I've never known a man. It's the same word. Same word. I pray that you will know this love that surpasses knowledge. It means personal, first-hand experience, the love of God in your heart as well as your head. And I guess I want to invite you Uh, to consider that this year of courage is an invitation to know the love of God in a fresh way. To experience it in a personal, intimate way that changes you, that frees you. If you're not a Christian and you struggle with fear, then there are lots of techniques that often are quite helpful that are in the world. But you need to know that they will not change you ultimately in the same way that a revelation of God's love for you in Christ will. When you know that you're accepted and loved unconditionally by the person that knows you best, it frees you up from the, uh, para- uh, the paralyzing effects of rejection like nothing else. So this is a year of courage. And wonderfully, I think it's an invitation to know God dealing with our fears. It's an invitation to step out of what's comfortable and safe. It's a chance for all of us to move from this box, this limited box, and step into God's reality. It's an invitation to know the love of God and align our minds with the truth rather than what we fear because of our lack and our weakness, to look to God's strength and know that he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And I guess this introductory message is all about asking you, will you accept that invitation? Like, will you, like, are you comfortable? That's probably the wrong word. Are you happy? That's probably the wrong word. Are you willing to to accept it and say, God, I've got loads of questions. I've no idea quite what this means for me at work or with my neighbors or with my best friends or with my family. But I do believe that you're sending me and I want to trust your reality more than mine. And if you're not happy to say yes to that yet, then we're going to do this over a bit of time. And we're going to hopefully bring everyone with us together. 
And so wonderfully, God's placed you in a community that is for you, that loves you, that has got a lot of patience for you because we feel the mess in our own hearts just as much as you feel it in yours. And so this isn't about us, a culture of, of experts. This is a culture of weakness and vulnerability and the goodness and mercy of God breaking in over our lives. So I want to invite you to say yes to him. So do you want to stand to your feet? We're going to have the band back. We're going to sing together, but I'd love just to pray for us as we just draw to a close. You know, for some of you, you just know that this is a a big deal for you. And so just as we sing, you might just want to make your way to the back. Uh, We're going to have some people over there, trusted people that you can pray with. You might be that someone you've come with. You just tap them on the shoulder and say, I could really do with you praying for me in this area. Let's just be uh, uh, courageous and upfront with uh, doing that with one another. And it'd be great if a few people could go over to the back to pray. But let's just close our eyes for a moment. If you're happy, why don't you just put your hands out before you. Uh, when we do this, we are, I guess, saying to God, we need you. We're open to you. Don't have to at all, but I find it really helpful sometimes to do that. And Holy Spirit, thank you so much. You're leading us as a church into a year of courage. I just thank you, God. That's for every single person in the room. It's a journey you're wanting all of us to make. And God, we pray that we would have a revelation, a fresh revelation of who you are and your incredible love for us. Thank you supremely. We see that in you sending your son, Jesus, to die for us and rise again and to send his Holy Spirit in us to reveal the love of the Father to us. And so we invite your presence. Thank you, God, that this isn't a church full of experts. Lord, we're all novices. We're all beginners. We're all apprentices of Jesus. And so we we just come to you, Lord, and we either want to just say, help me believe, help me trust you, or we want to say yes uh, to this invitation. Lord, I don't know what it means, but I want to say yes with all my heart. So fill us afresh, Lord, fill us with, with, we'll get rid of the spirit of timidity and cowardice, but fill us with the spirit of love, spirit of power, and the spirit of self-discipline. In your name we pray. Amen.